The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... And I was like, I'm going to throw up. So I run to the emergency exit row and I start just vomiting and I sit down. And there's a flight attendant there, luckily, who's like, are you okay? Like, And I told them what was going on. I was like, yeah, I, I by accident didn't pack enough insulin and I've just been having horrible highs. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. I hope you're having a great day so far, whatever you have been up to or whatever you are getting up to. And today I have another unbelievable guest. And the guest that I have is Isabel Mayoras from Chicago, USA. Isabel has been living with type 1 diabetes since the age of 12 and currently she works within Nike or Nike's marketing team and oversees their social media channels and looks into insights and posts and products and all these really cool and fascinating things. Over the years, Isabel has had some literal and figurative highs and lows and offers fantastic advice and insight for anyone living with type 1 diabetes. She speaks about her own experiences with the condition so far and shines a light on the reality of insulin affordability in the USA, which for anybody who doesn't live in the States, this is just going to blow your mind. It's, it's insane, the process over there. It's insane the amount of money that people have to spend on their insulin. And you may be living in a place right now that... You can just pick up your insulin, no questions asked, no payment needed. So a few things that me and Isabel go through in this episode are managing diabetes while traveling because she seems to travel a lot, the different feelings of high and low blood sugars and what we feel personally, because I always feel as if we all have different experiences with highs and lows. Again, like I said, the realities of insulin prices in the U.S., the unique experiences from our own life with type 1 diabetes, and then a quick fire question round that was inspired by 
our recent Instagram question episode. So I'm going to stop telling you about the episode and I'm going to let you listen to the episode. So enjoy and I'll speak to you soon. So Isabel, I know obviously you are up a lot earlier than I am right now. So I appreciate you getting up early to do this podcast before work. Something that I wanted to ask you just specifically because it's your morning. And recently I have been having just random dawn phenomenon or foot to floor spikes in the morning so Mm. i know that's quite common but do you notice a difference with your blood sugar in the morning compared to later in the day you know normally actually i wake up pretty steady just because i often have my highs in the middle of the night and like i wake up to pee and i'm like oh my god of course i have high blood sugar (laughs) um and so then i give myself my correction go back to sleep Um, or I wait until it goes down depending on how high it is. Um, and then I wake up with like a pretty steady number, luckily. Can I ask you what your blood sugar is right now? And I'm going to look at mine. Yeah. See what, see what that's a great question. I think it's 130, 124. Nice. I am obviously American numbers. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So mine's 7.3 with a diagonal arrow up, which would be Uh, 131.4. In American numbers. And similar to what I was just saying about my my numbers kind of being annoying or unpredictable or higher resistance in the morning, right now perfectly outlines that, right? Because Mm -hmm. typically my morning ratio is one to ten and or sorry, one to twenty. And then later as the day goes, it's one to twenty-five or thirty, right? And I had a very, very random meal just before this podcast which was three chocolate rice rice cakes and two turkey Mm. burgers don't even ask me the combination very very random just had to get something (laughs) into me but basically i took extra insulin for that and i'm still trending higher which is very very totally you we have a ratio but it's also like we know what foods affect us what way and and like no math is going to be able to predict that you know and so it's kind of just like you have to be able to you know like see into the future basically which sucks yeah and even on top of that things like stress if you're dehydrated if you didn't sleep Mm -hmm. as well the night before all these invisible variables that play a, a role can be adding to the complexity of it as we both know and then of course like the stress makes you higher and then of course you're stressed because you're higher it's just like (laughs) never ending yeah it's like the vicious cycle yeah so i know you travel a lot isabel and Mm -hmm. based off your instagram you seem to be in a different place every time you post which is which is great to see but you are currently in chicago right now yes where was your most recent trip so um a month ago, I was in um, Greece. So I went to Santorini and Paros, the two islands. And then we went to Dubrovnik. Had you been to Greece before? I had not. It was awesome. Um, it was incredible. I'm honestly sad that I'm home. Yeah, it's always the depression that kicks in after the trips. Yeah. I, it's, it's like not talked about, but it's like, oh my God, it's just sad. So how do you approach trips and vacations like that isabel in comparison to just a standard working day in chicago in greece and croatia just like in europe in general this most recent trip it was it was tons of high blood sugar i was honestly frustrated a lot of the time um and i would obviously like i bought fanta is huge over there and i bought 
um, a ton of Fanta every time I was in a store because I was like, honestly, I'm fighting this high blood sugar so often. I just know that I'm going to go low pretty often. And it's, it's really scary to be low, especially when you're in a different country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I bought like a lot of low snacks and I was like, let me just try and fight this as much as I can. But I think it was a lot of like travel stress, unfortunately. Um, I didn't really, luckily I was actually, so my friend that I traveled with, we went with her parents too. And she was like, Hey, want to come along? We're going to Greece and Croatia. So I was like, yeah, totally. (laughs) And her father is a physician. So he has like diabetic patients. He, he was definitely someone that I was like, thank God that I'm with him because I was, um, I had some scary lows where it was like, you know, like the arrows downward and you're already at like 50. So it's like terrifying, especially when you're abroad. Um, but my main thing there was definitely some high blood sugar, especially because of the heat. Um, the heat was really frustrating to deal with. And I often was in like that shitty, like high blood sugar mood that like everyone gets into, like, I hate this. I'm so frustrated. Why am I like this? I'm on vacation. I can't even take a break. Um, and I had to just kind of remind myself like, yeah, like you're going to be diabetic everywhere you go. You just have to deal with it. And it doesn't mean like, you know, I get into my head. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is going to shorten my lifespan. I'm going to lose limbs, like all this stuff. But I have to just be like, you know what? I'm still young. I have relatively good blood sugar control at home. It's just like, this is a a phenomenon or like, you know, I'm just, I'm abroad, obviously. Hmm. So you have to like have some grace, I would say. Yeah. I think that's part of why it can be so difficult at times is the fact that like you say yourself, Isabel, you can't even get a break when you're on vacation, you know, and oftentimes, and even from my own experience, the times that you want to just switch off and take a break and enjoy the sun mm-hmm. or enjoy a vacation because you're out of your routine and because you're doing something completely different and eating different food and probably drinking more alcohol, it's almost like that's when your diabetes bites you that bit harder. Yeah. With the thought of kind of going low more consistently, do you feel as if you were happier trending higher to avoid those lows? So it's always like the grass is always greener. I, mm. I noticed to myself, I was like, oh, like I would I'd so much rather be low right now when I had a high. And then when I was low, I was like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Like I'd so much rather be high, you know, like, yeah, of course. like I wanted the other one every time. Yeah. I, it was actually, I think it was a few weeks ago I had, I had done a pretty hefty um, workout in the gym and I knew that my insulin sensitivity, sensitivity would be so much higher. Mm-hmm. and my bloods had kind of been trending lower as a result consistently over the next kind of one or two days but i had a low blood sugar and i just wouldn't come back up and oh, i was like yeah. you're in your head so much thinking i'm actually gonna die right now <laughs> nothing's yes. gonna bring my blood sugar back up and it's almost yeah. and it was strange because i don't i i can't remember the last time i had that experience where i was I almost felt trapped in my own body thinking my blood sugar isn't going to come up and there's nothing I can do. I feel like with, with lows less so I'm just like, Oh my God, it's going to take forever. And I'm just going to lay here miserable. But with highs, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm literally never going to come back down. And it's like, I'm going to be 300 forever. You know? Yeah. So if you had to pick one, which one do you hate more high or low? Mm. I would say, honestly, probably the low, just because like, I get so annoyed and just like, I feel so, I feel such like, 
I don't even know how to explain a low, but like, I feel like so much angst from it that I just like, I lay there. I cannot use my phone. I cannot focus on anything. I'm just like sweating and just laying there miserable. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I just have to wait this out. And with a high, like, yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm scared about my future life, you know, but at least I don't have those severe symptoms. I feel as if anytime you have like a stubborn high and you're up at an uncomfortable level and the, the sensation I feel as if my blood is hotter than it is. And it's like, mm. you know, it's, it's, almost, it's very, very difficult to explain. Um, like, do you get sweaty? Kind of. Not mm-hmm. noticeably, but I feel as if okay. internally my body is just much hotter than it is. It's very, very hard to explain. Okay. Um, but really uncomfortable. But I get like a weird feeling in like my throat when I have a high. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> like what type of feeling? <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like there's like, I don't know, just like a something in my throat. Not like a sore throat or anything, but just like like I'm very like they're aware of my throat. Maybe I don't know. We all have very unique sensations when we have yeah. highs and lows, low blood sugars. I know my doctor when I first got diabetic or when I first was diagnosed, they were like, "Yeah, what are your symptoms for like lows and highs?" And I was like, "Why are they asking me this? Doesn't everyone have the same ones?" And I've come to learn that is not the case. So, how would you feel a low, or what do you think your your symptoms of a low would be? Shaky, frustrated. Um, can't focus, can't like function, can't do anything. I just have to like lay there and, and just like be dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait it out. But I do luckily, I do luckily wake up from my um, lows, which is a godsend. Very, very important to say the least. Yeah. But speaking of travel, Isabel, and one of the, one of the things that you said was one of the defining moments for you in your diabetic life already up to this point was you were on a trip to LA and Mm -hmm. you didn't pack enough insulin. So can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, it was a few years ago, like five years ago, I'd say. And, um, I was visiting a friend in LA. Um, and I thought I packed enough insulin. I thought I was fine with the pens that I had open already. And, um, I get there and the first day is fine, whatever. And then I was there for, I think three days. Um, and the next two days, I think I had like I think maybe half a day left of insulin or something. And so we went out to go out and I actually, I don't drink anymore. I'm sober. So thankfully, like I wasn't like affected in that way. Cause honestly, you never know what way your blood sugar is going to go. Mm. Um, but my parents and I have been on trips before where I didn't pack enough insulin. And like, obviously there's frustration around it because you have to get that like emergency pen wherever you are at the pharmacy, because you don't need a whole extra pack of what six pens, um, which is so much more expensive, but the emergency pack is just expensive as it is. Um, and so I was like, I don't want to burden them with this. This is my error. I screwed this up. I should be the one to deal with the consequences. So I thought that I could tough it out. And I had heard about insulin rationing before, but I just didn't really understand because I had never had symptoms of like a high that like got so out of control because when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was only found in the 200s. Um, I was like really like it was like a a total um, fluke that they found my blood or they found me that early. Um, So basically, I, I was like, I can tough it out. I can do this. And so we went out, it was fine. But then I come home and I start like throwing up and I was like, this is weird because I didn't drink, 
Um, and I just, I, I felt so ill and I looked at my blood sugars and I was like, they're a little bit high, but they weren't like, they weren't 400 plus, you know, I have the Dexcom and it says 400 plus. Hmm. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like the high or it wasn't 400 plus. So I was like, I should be fine. But what I didn't realize was I had been high for so long that it was just like my body trying to, you know, get rid of the the sugar any way it could. Um, and so the next, the, the last day I was there, it was, it was a half day that Sunday and I was flying out, um, at like, I don't know, noon or something. And I was so ill that like, I couldn't do anything. I told my friends, I was like, I'm sorry, you guys can go somewhere, but like, I'm going to stay here until I have to leave for the airport. Um, and I get in the cab, I'm fine. I'm just kind of like out of it. I have the, you know, like the high blood sugar symptoms that everyone has and I'm fine at the airport. I get on the plane I'm fine for most of it. And then, and I, and I was very aware of where like the vomit baggie was on the plane, but I didn't have to use it, thankfully. Um, and I, uh, we are getting up to like deboard and everyone's grabbing their baggage and I, and I feel that I'm going to throw up. So I grab my, um, the, the baggie from my chair and I get up before everyone else gets up without their seatbelts. And I basically run as far as I can because I wasn't in the front of the plane. And I'm like, I'm going to get off this plane as fast as I can. But then I realized like, I can't, I can't wait in this line. Everyone had gotten up. I wasn't off yet. And I was like, I'm going to throw up. So I run to the emergency exit row and I start just vomiting and I sit down and there's a flight attendant there, luckily, who's like, are you okay? Like, and I told them what was going on. I was like, yeah, I, I by accident didn't pack enough insulin and I've just been having horrible highs and, and, um, this is not going well. And they were like, oh, you should have told me, you know, like we pack insulin on planes, like. I definitely would have like been able to to help you out, but now I have to call like the EMTs or whatever. So I sit on the plane until everyone's deboarded, every single person. And then the EMTs finally get there. They come on the plane. They talk to me for a bit. They're like, hey, what's going on? I told them kind of how I had just gotten home, thankfully. And my dad was coming to pick me up with an extra insulin pen. And they were like, okay, um, so I guess, do you not want to go to the hospital? And I was like, I think I'm okay. Like, my only symptom had been, you know, throwing up really. And I wasn't, I still wasn't very high. Like I still wasn't like the high that you see on the Dexcom. So luckily I was able to, um, to get off the plane. I, I felt safely. Um, but they were like, okay, that's fine. But we just have to wheelchair you out just for like protocol. So I was wheelchaired from my gate all the way to the, um, baggage claim. And then I grabbed my bag. I was still, I was literally the only last person to grab their bag from this flight because everyone had been off for a while at this point. Um, and then my dad was outside in the car with an insulin pen and I just gave myself insulin. And then once I got home, actually, I still was throwing up a little bit, um, but it was, it was terrifying. And I, I finally, not finally, cause that's horrible, but I, I truly understood what rationing was like. I mean, honestly, I don't know that I would have really gotten the grasp of like how people in the U S have to ration their insulin unless mm. I had gone through that experience. So in a way I'm grateful, um, because I definitely won't put myself in that position ever again. And, um, and I feel like I needed to see that to really, truly grasp what other diabetics in this country have to deal with. Mm. So how long, had it been since you took your last dose of insulin then? So I had been trying to do less insulin than I thought I needed every time I used it. So I was still mm. using it up until that Saturday night. 
the night that I went out. And then Sunday I had zero. And I didn't realize that I also was out of my long acting, which was so stupid. Oh, wow. So I basically ran out of both. I was like, oh, I'll have a steady base if I give myself my long acting. And then I got home and I was like, oh, I have none. Not ideal. Yeah, horrible. So this was obviously the very first time that you kind of truly experienced the severity of it. Oh, yeah. First and last. So what was going through your mind when you were on this plane? I mean, the entire time from the flight from L.A. to Chicago, I was sitting there like, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. Literally the entire time. Insane. And that's what, like a four or five hour flight? Yeah. Yeah. Like four hours. Horrible. That's insane. And as you say yourself, that's the reality of people Mm -hmm. in the States. I'm not like a unique case. Thankful or not, not thankfully, um, horribly. I'm not a unique case. And um, it's something that like, I mean, I can't even imagine having to do that when that's your last option. And there aren't insulin pens waiting for you at home, or you don't have your dad to pick you up and give you an insulin pen on your way back home. Yeah, it's ins- it's insanity. And I know we were briefly talking about it before we yeah. pressed record, but an Instagram post that you had put up recently yeah. essentially highlighted that, you know, and you said that yeah. you had recently passed your 13 year mark with diabetes. And basically you highlighted the fact that roughly within those 13 years, you've spent over 50, five zero, yeah, five zero thousand dollars on diabetic supplies. Definitely. Um, considering I'm counting the Dexcom, not only sensors, but transmitters, and then the insulin pens that I get. I didn't even count in the years that I used Omnipod. It's like, I mean, that was a generous um, like understatement, I would say. And the thing about it is we've, I've kind of spoken about it on this podcast a couple of times with various guests from the US. And it's one of those things that, again, like I said to you earlier, Isabel, even from my own perspective and the vast majority of people in Ireland and particularly around Europe, we don't have that experience. And it's almost like we we just completely take for granted the fact that we get our insulin for free. And even you telling that story about when you were in LA, you almost, you were almost turned away from the idea of just going to a local pharmacy to pick up a pen because it wasn't a convenient thing to do. Whereas I specifically remember I went out on a night out in Dublin one time and I ended up meeting my cousin and staying at my cousin's place. But I, for whatever happened, I I didn't have my insulin pen or I must have lost it or whatever it was. But I I basically just went into a pharmacy and got an insulin pen within 10 minutes. That blows my mind. Like completely free of charge. Oh, I just don't, I can't even like fathom that. And to think that, you basically didn't do that because of how complex of a situation it may have been just to go through that process to get an insulin pen. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I have insulin pens at home. Like I don't need an emergency one. I'm just like not near them, you know? And like, I actually, I definitely did need an emergency pen. So when you look at the $50,000 $50,000 that you've spent over, la- oh, spent over the last 13 years, essentially to keep yourself alive. Yeah. What does the breakdown of that actually look like for anybody who's listening who might not know? 
So um, mainly what I was calculating for that was the two types of insulin, the long acting and the, um, the basal or bolus, I'm sorry, bolus, bol- the basal and bolus. <laughs> they should Lord. be called um, something more different, I feel, because they, they sound very uh, yeah. similar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, both of those types of insulin pens, um, even though I was using vials at the beginning, um, and then I only calculated Dexcom sensors and Dexcom transmitters into that, but I didn't count the, I think I was on the Omnipod for like four years. I didn't even count the years that I was on that. Um, so yeah, 50,000 basically for the Dexcom supplies and the pen supplies on a monthly yearly basis it's insane so like what's the process then isabel in terms of actually getting your insulin you know like for me and for anybody else in ireland and as i said most of europe essentially we can just go into a pharmacy with a prescription and just pick things up relatively easily yeah so what does the process actually entail for you to go through all of this and actually get your insulin in your hands? So normally, like if it's a refill, I'll just call my pharmacy. I'll give them like the the refill number. And then it's, it's, they're basically, I mean, they're chill with it. They, they know like how many people use it. They're like, yeah, we'll have it whenever. Um, usually that day. And then um, when I head over there, I've had a few pharmacists when I tell them like my name and I'm waiting for them to figure out what I owe them they look at me and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like they, like they've never dealt with insulin before. Like, I guess maybe not all pharmacists at all pharmacies deal with diabetics on a daily basis. And so they're like blown away by how much I have to pay for my, just my prescriptions. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, like I've been dealing with this for so many years, like you don't have to seem shocked, you know, like it's, it's my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, even pharmacists have been like just totally shocked by the number that they have to tell me that I owe them. It's crazy. It's hard to comprehend. Yeah. And is that 50,000, if you don't mind me asking, is that yeah on top of you having insurance or how does that work? Yeah. What's the oh, difference yeah. That's between, with insurance. So what would the reality be for somebody without insurance? I honestly don't even know. I have no idea. Um, it is a horrifying thought. And I'm so I'm 25 and the US, you can be on your parents' health insurance until 26. Um, so I am mirroring the time when I'm like, okay, I actually have to like make sure that I am taking care of myself and my insurance purposes because it is no longer like a safety net that I have, you know, like I actually have to worry about this stuff now. And is there a safety net for anybody who can't afford their insulin? No. I mean, and so luckily in Illinois and like a few other um, states, I know Colorado has it too. um, The governors um, of our states have been amazing enough to create a copay cap. So um, my governor, J.B. Pritzker, recently um, made a, a a copay cap of $100 for insulin. And that recently went into effect. So, um, as of maybe this year and maybe like some of last year, but I don't really, I don't think it was last year at all. I think it was just starting this year. Um, my insulin has cost 
for the most part, like $100 when I go to pick it up at the pharmacy, which is a huge difference from mm. when it used to be like $400, $500 with insurance. Um, so that's an incredible difference. The only thing I will say is copay cap, meaning you are required to have insurance for this to be $100 or less. Um, so it it's great, but it's not nearly enough considering all the people that don't have insurance are the people who are, for the most part, rationing their insulin to afford it. Um, so it's a step in the right direction. And it's awesome that a lot of the states are starting to do that. Mm. Um, but it's definitely not enough. And again, if you don't mind me asking Isabel, what sort of monthly payment typically would people be spending on insurance to get that access to copay? So it, it it's a copay cap for insulin specifically. I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's like a, a specific price that it would have to go into effect. Mm. Um, but I do know that personally, I would say every month, every two months, um, I would spend probably a thousand dollars or 500 depending. Um, cause sometimes I only need to get my, um, bolus or my, my short acting insulin every month, every two months, but my, um, long acting does last longer, thankfully. Mm. Um, so it just kind of depends if it's a month when they both overlap, I, it'd be like a thousand dollars without the copay cap. I was speaking to a friend relatively recently who is in, um, San Francisco and is mm -hmm. in a job that she doesn't particularly like to say, to say mm -hmm. the very least, yeah, but she only stays in the job because of the insurance, because 100%. she knows, yeah, because she knows that if she leaves the job, she leaves her insurance, which ultimately yeah. results in her now having to pay thousands for her insulin. Yeah, a hundred percent. You can't get off one raft until you're safely into another. You know, it's unbelievable. It's just, it's so, it's so different to any experience over here it's just worlds yeah. apart you know uh, i didn't even know that criminal. like over there was free i thought it was like ten dollars completely free so there's something wow. called the long now just specifically in ireland there's something called the long-term illness scheme so basically okay because if you live with type 1 diabetes you have it for the rest of your life <laughs> as we both yeah. know of course um, yeah. and as a result of that we get our medication for free which is wow literally a lifesaver um that's insane yeah and again i could just rock down to my pharmacy and essentially they'd give me my insulin no questions asked right which is anyway um it reminds me of a, a friend who i knew in new york a few years ago who was in a job what was it he he was the manager of a bar right it was a good job but he yeah. didn't get insurance through the job. No. All right. No. And as you know, Isabel, it's incredibly expensive to live in New York, probably similar enough to yeah. Chicago. But yeah. he was telling me because he doesn't have insurance through the job, he's spending the equivalent on his insulin per month as he was on his New York rent. Yeah, that sounds about right. Literally. It's insanity. That's, I mean, literally paying for like you could be living in such a nice place if you paid all that money just to rent, but instead you have to pay half of it to survive. And then the other half you're paying for like a shoebox to live in. What do you feel the future 
looks like for insulin affordability in the US? I don't know. I feel like it's always talked about and it's like, I'm, my parents are like amazing and super supportive of me. Like they got me cookies for my um, diversity and all that good stuff. But they're often sending me um, links to like the, you know, oh, there may be a cure. Like, oh, like mm. scientists are working on this. Scientists are working on that. And I'm like, like I, I'm trying very hard to like be optimistic for them, you know? But in the, uh, often in those texts, I'm just going to, I send them like, oh yeah, there's no way. Or like, oh, we've seen this a million times. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, like I've gotten to such a pessimistic view of not only like the cure, you know, clickbaiting, but also just like the insulin affordability. I feel like it's always something that's being talked about by the president or by Congress or the Senate. And then it's like, okay, we talked about it. We can not talk about it for another however many months just to satisfy the diabetics and to shut them up, you know? Mm. What do you think could be done or can be done? The insulin pay cap is a huge, huge deal. Um, and I think that that's something that they could enact, first of all, in all states, at least the copay cap, and then work towards um, making it just a cap on insulin in general. Um, and I know that that's probably not going to happen because of capitalism and because of just the fact that, I mean, obviously these companies are making billions on us. Um, why would they, you know, why would they allow the government to, to stop that? Well, there's been, what is it, like a 380% increase in price on insulin since like the early 2000s. Yeah. Something insane like that. And it's it's now the it's sixth insane. most expensive liquid in the world. Which is like, I was thinking about this last night because I um, threw away another insulin pen that I had run out or like I, I used up. And I was like, I basically threw away like a Gucci bag or something. Like I threw away something like a luxury item just in my trash can right now. Like that's nuts. And I suppose how could you not kind of have that pessimistic view of... And again, it comes obviously comes from a good place with your parents sending yeah, you, you yeah. know, potentially there's a cure or this is the next yeah, they're step. Like, oh my God. Is, but you, it, it's difficult to have an optimistic view when consistently you know that you have to shell out thousands for your insulin, which isn't yeah. a cure, but it's the closest thing to right now. Totally. And like, I think about the cure as well. And I'm like, why would... So even if scientists had a cure, why would the government let them put it out there if they're making so much money off of us without it? You know, like there's no chance. There was just billions and billions in profit, obviously, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list.